This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Like most of you, I drive a car or a truck. Well, occasionally, I need tires or just a simple plug or patch. Well, my friends down at Just Tires is the place to go when that need arises. Give them a call at 727-585-9271. They have a convenient location right at 1645 Clearwater Largo Road. You can't miss them. So for all your tire needs, cars, trucks, trailers, new, used, or just a repair, give Just Tires a call. 727-585-9271. Oh, yeah, and be sure and check out their website, JustTires.net. Do you ever feel the need for speed? Well, experience the thrill of indoor karting at Tampa Bay Grand Prix, located at 12350 Automobile Boulevard in Clearwater. Call 727-527-8464. They have state-of-the-art electric carts racing around a quarter-mile road circuit. Bring your family, friends, and teammates for some speed, fun, and competition at Tampa Bay Grand Prix Indoor Karting Facility. Call 727-527-8464. Visit their website at tampabaygp.com. So I'm in uh, Germany, Nürburgring, at the Nürburgring, the Nordschleife, which is the, uh, the North Loop. Um, famous track, opened in like 1920. Uh, it's a track that I've always wanted to come to and spend some time at. So Ford was nice enough to let me drive the RS500, which is a very limited edition Focus. Um, this one is a little bit boosted up, but somewhere around 350 horsepower. The Nordschleife, which is basically a toll road with no speed limit, and you literally just come in, with a, with a little credit card, pay your uh, money to do a, a drive on the toll road, like any toll road, except you can just go flat out as fast as you want, and it's one way. The track is amazing for somebody who's never been here or doesn't know what it is. It's 20 kilometers long, so it's like 12 miles and change. And uh, in three places on the track, this car hits around 150 miles an hour, and only one of them is on a straightaway. Uh, the other two are in bumpy corners. The dampening is good. It's really compliant, and uh, front-wheel drive car has most of the weight in the front, but it deals with that pretty well. And it's uh, absolutely a blast around the Nürburgring. Drifting with Johann Reich or sliding with Katharina Kuhlman, this type of driving is valuable practice for anybody who hopes to keep control of a high-performance car on high-speed highways. I've got to hit the Autobahn again now. I'm uh, looking forward to it. It's a little, you know... Oh, do you need some tips? I would love the tips. We have a nice Ferrari uh, 599 GTB with 600 PS horsepower. Uh, 600 horsepower Ferrari to drive? Um, yeah, where do I sign up? Katharina, the drift queen in Europe, has offered her services to me to teach me that is Autobahn etiquette. The tool of the trade that we have to use today is a Ferrari 599, probably one of the finest machines you'll see on the Autobahn. And we have a stretch of unrestricted speed limit road. The Autobahn in Austria and neighboring Germany is a modern highway system with a recommended top speed limit of about 80 miles an hour. However, there are sections where there is no speed restriction. Finally, here's a place where you can really let a supercar stretch its legs. Of course, at high speed, the less skilled or drivers unfamiliar with Autobahn etiquette 
can definitely get into trouble. How quick can I really go on the Autobahn if I need to make up some time here? Oh, if it's free, 340. Depends on the lady here. Depends on this lady. Yeah. 340, so that's like 200 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so... But I have to give you some tips, because there are many, many, many... I mean, it's pretty crowded on the Autobahn, and there are some drivers who stay continuously on the left side, and you're only allowed on the left side to go that fast. And I show you a polite way to put them on the right side. Okay, so you can you can come along then? Yeah, I join you. Okay, let's do it. I'm not going to turn that down. <laughs> Thank you very much. You are welcome. The 599 GTB is the most powerful front-engine Ferrari ever built. It is wrapped in a stunning Pininfarina body and typically sells for a hundred grand more than the $302,000 list price. Looking at the mother supercar's exposed stats, the 599's 6-liter, 611-horsepower V12 is capable of pushing this beast north of 200. Our high-speed ride ended in Lindau, Germany, on the Austrian-German border. And while the Ferrari 599 GTB is capable of 340 kilometers an hour, I managed 311 in the rain, which is about 193 miles per hour. <laughs> now you're addicted to Germany, right? <laughs> so that's how they do it here, huh? That's how we do it. You know, you never get, I have to be honest, you never get a chance to feel what this car is made for in the States. That is where this car's comfortable. Yeah, this no. is how Germans always stay looking very young. Yeah. They go very, like, close to, you know, some speed that makes time slow down. That's, I, I'm on to you. It's I got the only it. fun factor in Germany we have, so yeah. <laughs> that's why I stay in Germany. I doubt that's the only fun you have in Germany. But uh, thank you very much for, for letting me make it in. You're welcome. And thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, we'll have see you soon. Time. Okay, bye-bye. This is Etzel Ford with the Ford Motor Company, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Enjoy the show. Okay, listeners, welcome, and you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And I hope you enjoyed that little prelude we did there. That's a, a hint to who our special guest for the evening is going to be. Well, I'll tell you what, we had some last couple of weeks here. We said so many car shows going on. And, of course, this weekend we got another pack of car shows and events going on. This week, for example, we've got the Festivals of Speed in St. Petersburg, okay? Oh, by the way, I'm your show host, Robert, so uh, be sure and tune into our show every week at 7 p.m., okay? Be sure to check out our podcast, too, if you missed any of our past shows, and also visit our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, because we need as many likes as we possibly can. And don't forget, tonight I have another radio giveaway, and I just mentioned the Festival Speed event this weekend, so the... 10th caller. Actually, I got a couple sets. So the 10th caller, the 13th caller, and the 15th caller tonight. So give us a call here at the studio, 727-441-3000. That's 727-441-3000. Leave your name and number and an address, and we will get you some tickets to the Festivals of Speed this weekend, all day Sunday down at the Vinoy Park down in St. Petersburg. It's an amazing event. You're going to have classics. You're going to have supercars. You're going to have boats. You're going to have bikes. You can have all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, food, wine, and drink, and all kinds of cool stuff, and a lot of people. So it should be pretty packed. It's an exciting event, and 
I don't expect anybody to miss it, okay? Especially my listeners. I expect you guys to show up there, okay? Also, Sunday is Webster. Now, for you parts junkies like myself, you know, Webster's this weekend, all right? The other thing that's going on this weekend is the Bear Jackson down in Palm Beach, okay? That's April 4th through the 7th. Wow, that should be exciting. And I don't know how my schedule is going to work because I think Friday night they got the hangar party. Saturday they've got, I believe, the poker run, which is the boat deal. And then, of course, like I said, Sunday you've got Festival Speed, you've got Webster. I think there's a car show going on in Old Town this weekend. That's also Saturday, so there's just a bunch of stuff, okay? So, at any rate, that's what's going on this weekend. We're going to drop a needle in the groove here for a second or two. We're going to play an old song, kind of a cool 90s song. This was kind of wicked. And we'll be right back, and I'll tell you about what we did the past couple of weeks, which was a lot of fun.
Courtney Hansen from Spike TV, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Hey, this is comedian, author, and most importantly, vintage race car driver Adam Carolla telling you I love nostalgic radio and cars. Okay, we're back. And yes, Adam Carolla was a guest, a past guest on our radio show. Anyway, yeah, we're in a few minutes. We're going to bring our guest on, and I'm sure everybody's been waiting for him. He's a very, very well-known and talented race car driver and one of the co-hosts of History Channel's top TV show, Top Gear USA. But before we do that, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about... I'm going to keep you in suspense. I'm going to keep you in suspense. I'm going to tell you about what we did the last uh, couple of weeks. Of course, obviously, you know, two weeks ago, we had the St. Pete Grand Prix. And the St. Pete Grand Prix was an amazing event. It always is. I mean, it's just a cool array of cars. You got Indy cars, Indy lights, GT cars, and my favorite, vintage race cars. I went to the uh, media lunching on um, on Thursday. And when I sat there, I actually had a chance to talk with Helio Casanovas, and a very nice guy. Um, I'm I'm working on it. There's a good possibility we might be able to get him on the show. Another indie driver that I spoke with was uh, the girl from Switzerland, Simone Di Silvestro, and she was very pleasant. And she's also referred to as the Iron Maiden. But anyway, she was very pleasant. We talked uh, for a little bit about her racing career and where she's come from, and uh, it was very pleasant. As a matter of fact, it was kind of interesting because uh, I speak German and she speaks German. So our dialogue was going on in German, and the people standing around were like caught totally off guard by surprise. They didn't know that we were going to be having some foreign language dialogue, but it was kind of interesting, and she's uh, she did very well. I think she came in um, sixth or so. All in all, the world's fastest spring break. We had a really good turnout for the St. Pete Grand Prix, but really the highlight of the St. Pete Grand Prix was the vintage car races put on by HSR, our friends over there, David Hinton, who was on the show. And I got to tell you, that was a pretty good turnout. The cars did very, very well. They were out on practice on Fridays. They had a uh, 30-minute session on Saturday, and then they had the final race on Sunday. And uh, it looked like it was a little overcast. They thought it was going to rain, but it actually turned out to be a pretty good day. And uh, we got some shots, some really good pictures. So if you go to our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, there's actually a Photoshop. Our, one of our good friends and listeners, Don Underjack, and he was racing his Panos, which was formerly a Penske-prepared car. And he's coming down the main strip there, uh, turning left on Dan Weldon Way. So 
Uh, the guys had a good time out there. My concern was for a lot of those guys, you know, because they got classic and, and, and really cool cars. I mean, uh, Dave Ritter, who's another local guy, he had his McLaren out there. We had Brian Johnson from ACDC. He was out there with his uh, uh, WSC car. And um, and there was a number of uh, vintage Trans Am Mustangs, MGAs. Uh, there was some newer Trans Am cars. Uh, Leonard McHugh of uh, Q Accident Attorneys. He was out there with his Trans Am Camaro. The usual Porsches, Jaguars, and uh, my friend Craig Ross was out there with his real live Trans Am Boss 302. Really neat stuff. So all the guys had a really, really good time. The concern was, obviously, that you're racing these classic vintage cars in between these giant concrete walls. And the track's really, you know, in some areas, except for turns, it's wide enough for three cars, but actually only two, maybe, yeah, two. That's pushing it even. But when you're in competitive mode, one car is all you really want to have on the track at a time. And everybody's got to go single file. When you get the straightaways, that's where you obviously want to pass. So, But they all had a good time. It was a good event and a great turnout. And what was really amazing, too, is the crowd, the fanfare, the amount of people that really took a big interest in the classic cars. So hopefully uh, that turnout worked out real good for them. And HSR will be back at the St. Pete Grand Prix next year. Special thanks to Tim Ransberger, who's the uh, president of the St. Pete Grand Prix, Kathleen Stemlack, she's a media coordinator, and Paul Valancourt. Um, they basically work between St. Petersburg and the Canadian um, Grand Prix Indy race that takes place. So if you go to the website, Honda Grand Prix of St. Petersburg or IndyCar, you can find out all that information. Matter of fact, you can check our website out, Gulfstream Motorsports, because we have some information on there as well. The other thing that I did that weekend, because it was a pretty busy weekend for me, because there was a lot of stuff going on, but our friends uh, Mike Flynn at HollywoodCarAuctions.com, he had an auction going on at the Palm Beach County Convention Center. He had an amazing turnout. He had about 300 cars, stunning, stunning uh, mid-50s classics that were there. And then the auction that I had to cover, which was the Auctions of America event down in um, in Fort Lauderdale at the uh, Fort Lauderdale Convention Center. There was like five, 600 cars there. And I mean, there was everything from classic Mustangs, obviously. There was a couple of Cobras that went through there. There was Shelby's. There was old vintage uh, Auburns there. There was uh, some... DeSoto Airflows, I think, is the name. Yeah, there was even a Ford Excursion there, which I was surprised to see that. There was obviously, there was tons of Triumph. There was Cadillacs. There was MGs. There was a set of Boss 302s, Boss 351s, Boss 429s, Crosleys, Isettas, Seattas, a bunch of microcars, actually, a little Berkeley. Uh, just some weird stuff. Uh, what else was there? Uh, obviously, a bunch of 911s, 356s. Oh, yeah. The guys from Pawn Stars were there because they had their 1950 Chevrolet convertible that was used in the last movie that Steve McQueen ever did, Hunter. And that car was there on. So there was a bunch of celebrity cars. There was a motion-prepared 1969-70 Corvette Big Block, Z28s. GTOs, GTXs, Roadrunners, you know, um, beautiful, stunning 1934 Lincoln Custom Phaeton with a really cool raked windshield, an assortment of Packards, 1932 Cadillac, also a custom-bodied Phaeton, a Moon, a 1924 Moon, an ex-sprint car called the Heligas, uh... See so what else? Old school hot rods, like an old 60s hot rod. Even a late model BMW Z8. Wayne Carini was also there riding around in some classic car. Like I mentioned, the Pawn Stars. Matter of fact, I talked to Rick Harrison and Corey. And we got interviews, so that will be upcoming in future shows. Let's see, what else? 
57 Chevrolets, obviously, 55 Chevrolets, 58 Chevrolets, 57 Buicks, 57 Mercury's, endless, endless, endless stuff. Check out the website, Auction America, and uh, they got some pretty cool stuff. Uh, They're affiliated with RM Auction. Let's see. What else was there? Oh, yeah. A purple Ferrari Dino, a Ferrari 330 GT 2 Plus 2, more Packards, a really cool 70 Formula Firebird factory four-speed car, the most beautiful 300 SL Gullwing Mercedes that I probably have ever seen. Great color combination. Beautiful blue, deep blue, red leather interior, rare rudge wheels, and it sold for way over 800000 I was covering the event for Sports Car Market because I write for them, so be sure and check out Sports Car Market and American Car Collector. Let's see, what else? There was It was overwhelming, that's all I can tell you. There was just a mind-blowing amount of cars there, and you need to put it on your bucket list and check it out for next year. Oh, yeah, and also, probably the, some of the feature cars that were there, I should mention, is the Greenhorn car was there. One of my favorite shows that I grew up with back in the 60s. Oops, I just dated myself, didn't I? The 72 Challenger from the TV show, the hit TV show, which I used to watch all the time, Mod Squad, that car was there. One of the Dukes of Hazard stunt vehicles was there. Supposedly one of three that was sold to the public. And signed by the entire Dukes of Hazard cast, old and new. And this is the one that was used in the recent movie. And, uh, oh, we're just about out of time here. That's my cue. It's almost time to introduce our special guest, and we obviously don't want to keep him waiting. So, you guys, enjoy the rest of the show, because this is going to be one spectacular interview. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Introduce the high-performance Ford Focus ST. We planned an event where two STs would go head-to-head through the narrow streets of Key West. We enlisted the help of X Games Rally gold medalist Tanner Faust and professional stunt driver Greg Tracy. We'll be down alleys and inside stores and all kinds of things. The two cars nose-to-nose explode through it kind of thing. The buzz drew a crowd. A big crowd. Okay, guys, let's stand by. And roll cameras. When it was over, we asked people to send us what they'd seen. And once we saw what they'd captured... We were blown away. They had filmed an entire commercial for us. While most commercials have one director, we had hundreds. And the first ever spectator filmed commercial was created. It goes to show, when you have a spectacular car doing spectacular things, people want to film it.
Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. In the last decade, this gentleman has risen to prominence in the motorsports world through his amazing ability in drifting and rally racing and as a stunt driver. He's also the co-host of History Channel's popular TV show, Top Gear. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening... Tanner Faust. Tanner, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm very, very thrilled to have you on the show, and it was really a pleasure meeting you at SEMA last year. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm doing great. I'm out, uh, out in California and uh, completely missed winter, apparently, and uh, yeah, having, uh, having a good season, ready to get back in my little uh, Rockstar Fiesta, which is the, the car that I race, and it seems like it's been forever since I've ripped around in that thing, so I'm ready to get back in the season. Super. Well, now, you just mentioned you miss winter. Let me ask you, since you're kind of an extreme sports kind of guy, uh, do you snow ski? I do. I, I grew up in a ski family, and, and so I did take a couple trips to Colorado. I went to Mammoth a couple times, you know, park work, and then took a couple days to, to ski. So, yes, I did get some, uh, some snow in my face, but uh, the weather's been amazing uh, down here in SoCal. Okay. Are you a bump skier, slalom skier, or what's your uh, what's your forte as far as skiing? The reason I ask that is because uh, I like skiing myself. So. Oh yeah, my dad was a racer and was like an alternate on that '64 uh, Olympic team, and I grew up uh, always liking GS style skiing and, and carving and downhill style skiing. Okay. Um, good. My knees now are suffer from the the days when I did like to uh, tear the moguls pretty hard. Uh huh. But. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I love it for the speed and you know how like new skis, how shaped they are and everything. It's like, uh, it's like in a whole amusement park, um, when you get on a mountain now. Uh huh. Definitely. Yeah. And well, you're, so you're a skier from uh, West coast or where are you from? Actually, I'm from Marin County, North of San Francisco. So I used to go to Squaw Valley when I was a kid. Right on. Tahoe. So you're so. the Glenn Clake, uh, Schmitty era. Yeah. I guess you could say that, you know, Fred's Plummer yeah. and those guys, you know, if you follow the European stuff. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. So, Tanner, tell us a little bit how you got into motorsports and what was the big lure for you. I mean, obviously you're a speed freak, so which is cool. So tell us how you got into motorsports. Uh, uh, well, I mean, skiing was always kind of like my main thing, actually, since we're talking about it. I was, I was a skier and a rock climber. Oh, really? And, um, yeah, I went to school in Boulder, uh, Colorado, and uh, kind of, uh, you know, my family business was always medicine. So I was a pre-med major in molecular cellular and developmental biology, which sounds really boring, but it was pretty interesting stuff. And um, But my hobby and passion had always in the background been cars. And, uh, eventually, I got the entrepreneurial bug from working for an inventor in college who invented amusement rides and, and just thought, what the hell, just might as well try to make a living at you know what I'm most interested in. And kind of got into racing that way by volunteering on a race team as a terrible mechanic um, in return for seat time. Interesting. Okay, so you're so you're a wrench too, then? No, terrible. Terrible. Well, <laughs> I have to do twice. Okay. Um, yeah, it was a bad deal for. I mean, I worked for eight months to get one race, and so it, it, I had no idea how expensive racing was at the time. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a tough deal all around. But it ended up working out, you know, okay. And uh, I got my license, and then I went, uh, I was doing FPCA events in Colorado, and little cars called Spec Fords, which are like generic wedge-shaped, two-chassis, slow cars. Um, and I would go around and offer coaching services, basically, for anybody that I was faster than in qualifying. And uh, that ended up paying for the race days. Did that for several years before finding other people to pay the bills. 
When you started uh, running an SCCA, did you and and sports car racing? Did you find that you had kind of a natural talent for it? Uh, there was a telling race. I haven't talked about this in a long time, so it's kind of interesting for me. But there, it was a it was a pretty telling race. The very first one that I did, and it was the realization that um, the, you know being a bit humble. The problem with the you know young drivers that come out sometimes is they rate themselves pretty high. And it's, uh, I think I always came in with the understanding that the more I learned, the more I realized I didn't know. And that, um, that was probably the most valuable thing for me is recognizing that it wasn't all going to happen from talent. There aren't, you know, the talent, I think, comes from me being able to adapt and to learn new stuff. Nobody's born with driving talent. You know, we're not, uh, well, now here's my biology stuff coming out, but there's, we're not evolved, I think. Driving, we're, we're involved for drive for running seven miles an hour through the woods, chasing wildebeest around or whatever. But um, driving is something we've only been doing for a little more than a hundred years. So I, I think the, the challenge is the, the, the guys and girls that can learn um, to avoid their natural instincts and learn new stuff. And and I started to pick up on the driving stuff pretty quick, so I stuck with it. When you started racing did would you which which school did you go to i mean as, as far as uh like a you know because I, I went to uh um road atlanta's where i got my license back in 1990 and yeah. uh so which you went to school where in Georgia, in uh, colorado you said um it was a small school in colorado at a racetrack called second creek raceway which isn't there anymore okay and um i was there with jim christian it's just a an old guy that came out and was sanctioned by SCCA to give you your club license, your regional license. Okay. And I went out and did that day and got my regional license. And um, But I taught at Skip Barber and um, taught at a lot of uh, driving schools around the country, but um, always went in as an instructor kind of a thing. Um, but uh, never, never went to, like, a, a specific school program. My dream in high school and college was that my parents would give me a Christmas present. It would be like a two-day school at Skip Barber or something, but okay. never happened. How about Bob Bondra? Do you ever teach at his class, at his uh, school? I've been down there shooting TV shows and, and met the guys and did some drifting with his with Bob Bondra's grandson, but um, no, never taught at that school, never attended that school. They, had a, they have good cars down there, which are kind of fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, I never, I never went you know, a lot of the schools are, are set up more as kind of edutainment type things. They're not really pathways into racing. It's, uh, you get some valuable skills, and just like any skills that aren't practiced, they go away. And so you have to keep going back to those skills in order for it to, you know, to those schools in order for it to be relevant. But um, I, I, I was, once I got both feet in the industry, I was going to be holding a steering wheel for a living and there was going to take no for an answer. So I, I just focused on anything that, could um, make a career in the sport rather than um, than kind of going to some some of the sort of touristy type um, schools. Okay, now let me ask you a question. What, I remember when I was going, we were we were at Road Atlanta, and I, my teacher was uh, I think his name was Steve Perner, and we were ha- I was having trouble coming down turn eleven and twelve, coming down to the bottom of the hill in the old Atlanta track, and my instructor yeah. would just sit there casually in a seat, look over at me, take the turn, not even look at the turn, put the car in a slide, and just drive right through it. 
I had a certain fear. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I couldn't get past that. Do you, did you ever face that? I mean, did you, or are you kind of like a no fear kind of driver? Uh, I never, I, ne- I mean, especially something as dramatic as drifting. Mm-hmm. Now, turn 12, uh, if you're talking about the turn onto the straightaway, yeah, it's super committal. But it, it's kind of one of those things. It's like jumping off a high dive as a kid. From the outside, it looks nuts. So from the passenger seat, even, it can look completely nuts. But once you do it and you realize, oh, okay, if, as long as I don't do something stupid and you know, jerk the wheel halfway through the corner and lift off the gas, it's going to stick. You know, once you feel it that first time, and then you know you can commit to it. Um, so it's all drifting is one of those things where when I watch some of the drifting competitions from the outside, I'm just like, oh, my God, those guys are freaking nuts. But then you get in the car, and um, it's a totally different uh, Totally different things from behind the wheel. Tires obviously play an important role, and when you're drifting, as while we're on the subject of drifting, you're when do you do you kind of feel this? Because this is something I had a difficult time with, and actually I still do when I go out in a club race. But when you when you feel the point of losing total adhesion, where you're just going, you're going to hit something. I mean, it's how do you know when to back off on that? What's what? What do you go through? Um, well, I think tires are, you know, they're obviously one of the most important performance parts of the car, and so for that reason, it's one of the most important things to get really familiar with. Their character changes from cold to warm to hot, mm-hmm. and so it's a matter of understanding what their character is like, and then being able to anticipate what they're going to do. So let's say you've got the tires warmed up, you've done a couple two and a half laps. And, and then it's a measure of the progressivity is, the, you know, the industry term, I guess, for that, for tires, recognizing how much information the tire gives you um, when it's about to go from a static friction to a sliding friction, when okay. it starts to lose grip. And so it's playing the game on that progressivity, and, and some tires work while they're sliding just a little bit and on the verge of really letting loose, and some tires don't like to be in that space. But um, you live in that area, that gray area, um, between static and sliding friction in a tire, and um, you have to love it. <laughs> you have to love to be there. Oh, I, I, uh, But I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. You're racing. Well, let me ask you this. And, Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. No, well, just... And so I think, I think different, you know, different tires, you can, you can change the tire's characteristics so easily. Um, one, like I mentioned, the, t- the temperature, but even just air pressure. And suspension uh, changes can can alter that that gray area and how easy it is to hang out in that area where the tire's just on the verge of sliding. But if everything is wrong and it surprises you, um, then yeah, then you play a car control game, which I'm also completely addicted to. And uh, then it's a game of weight transfer. So you got to put the weight back on whatever tire broke loose, front or back. Let me ask you this: the drifting. When you road race, has a, your drifting abilities, your expertise in, the, in in that area, does that help you on the road course? Does that hurt you? Uh, does it make any difference at all? I think it helps a lot. Okay. I think I think you're really willing to um, come in, a, you know, find out if turn twelve is in fact flat because you know if it isn't and the car starts sliding, that you're going to be fine, and and you're going to be able to uh, manage it. Um, but if, you know, it, 
So I think it helps for confidence. I think it helps for learning tracks because you can make a few mistakes and, and not necessarily throw away the whole practice session, um, you know, by spinning out or something. But, uh, and then the first time I really noticed it in road racing was uh, when it rained. Um, there, it, you know, just, it just worked in some, in, in the, those little spec forwards that had a lot of weight over the back tires. It just worked if they were sliding just a little bit out of some of the corners. And would I slide as much now that I have a little bit more experience? Probably not. But then it, it certainly seemed to work, and it was a ton of fun. Because technically, if you're scruffing tires, you're actually slowing the car down. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, if you're ever, I mean, not to get too techy, but I guess that's where we are. If, we, yeah. if you ever are counter-steering, then you know, you're essentially taking grip away from the front to drive the front of the car towards the outside of the corner because the back of the car is going to the outside of the corner too quickly. And so even though it feels like it's just the back tires that are losing grip a little bit, it's all four because you're driving the front out there also. Right. And, yeah, that's time. Any any counter steer is time. Okay, yeah, cool. All right, let me ask you this. Uh, tracks in the United States. Well, no, let me back up for a second. Okay, so now you, you've done the drifting. We know about that. And obviously the rally cross, cross stuff, which we'll get into. But – and you started out SCCA cl- racing. Did you ever aspire to do more road racing? Because it seems that your specialty is kind of the rally cost and the drifting. Yes, I love road racing, and I want to do more of it. And, I'm, and every year I'm working with my team here to get a couple road races in here and, and maintain that part uh, of, of the, the season. Um, it can be difficult because as you get Further down the road uh, in these motorsports, there's you know there are pathways, there are ladders, and um, so once you're in the sport for a while, it can be difficult to, to traverse over to another one. Which unfortunately, in that case, is one of my favorite things to do. I love jumping from sport to sport, and for like eight years, I did simultaneous championships with drifting and with rally racing. But um, I remember I came into uh, the sport with no money, no real family influence. Um, no family friends really that were like sponsors or anything. And so motorsports kind of had to work for me as a business in order to make a living. Also, um, I wasn't paying the bills myself. And, uh, that was one of the reasons I got into drifting besides the fun factor and my belief in the sport as a great grassroots sport. Uh, it's one of the reasons I got into rallycross because I, uh, as I spent more time in Europe, realized that, you know, the U.S. was really trailing behind the rest of the world and having cool small cars and uh, with the way the economy was and, and the way the fuel price situation is, it's the natural, uh, the natural step that small cars become cooler and cooler here in the state. Rallycross is a good place to be in. And, um, but I think they're, I love the, the speed. I love the therapeutic rhythm of, of road racing and, uh, and uh, a lot of the strategy, the head-to-head battle. So I'd love to get back into it. How about Grand Am racing, LMS racing? Did you get an opportunity to do any of that stuff? Uh, hopefully this year I'm going to get into the STR focus, do some road racing. I, the last three years I've been you know, slowly piecing together deals for Lamar and some endurance racing, which wow. is a great thing for somebody like me who has been out of road racing for a while and wants to come back in. Uh, endurance racing is great because you, you share some of the load with the other drivers. You get an enormous amount of seat time, and um, 
and it, and and it's incredibly fun. So uh, that's yeah, I'd, I'd love to come back in on an endurance front. I've been partnered up with Ford now for a while and loving that relationship. Um, uh, but it becomes more of a question of what uh, road racing they have that I can tap into them. You know, over the years, I've had Parnelli Jones, Dan Gurney, Brian Redmond, Sam Posey, Johnny Rutherford. I have a, a Parnelli Jones, which was amazing. But I've had so many of these race car drivers on my show, and back in the old days, they would jump from a stock car to a formula car to a totally. to a sprint car, and so. But it was easy for them back in the day to jump around and 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 get rides. And so, from what I understand, from what you're telling me, it's not that easy to do that these days, is it? Then. Well, you can jump in for a little guest appearance drive, but um, it's hard to fight for multiple championships. Okay. And you know, Parnell is one of my heroes. I've had the pleasure of working with him and getting to know him a little bit. And, yeah, it is different than it was in the you know, late 60s, early 70s, for sure. But there still are some progressive sponsors. Uh, Rockstar is a sponsor I've been with for a long time, and they've been bold enough to just, you know, they didn't know what rally racing was. And I'd say, oh, we got to go rally racing. Or there's this stuff called European Rally Cross over in, in Europe. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be in the States soon. Trust me, it's going to be great. And they've been bold enough to say, okay, let's go do it, even though they really didn't know anything about it. And um, if you get some kind of uh, outward-reaching kind of brave sponsors that have uh, influence in all different, you know, all different Markets. parts of the world, then, okay. yeah, I mean, you really get... Uh, you can, you can really have the fun. Now, on your bio here, it says that you lived in Scotland for a while, and that's kind of where you really took an interest in rally racing. And uh, and I will say that as a child, when I lived in Europe, uh, you, two things you followed, if you're a motorsports guy, rally racing and F1. Those are the two races that went on, and touring cars. So go ahead and talk yeah, about it, that. It, it, well, if you were hardcore, you got into touring cars, right? It, it's like, you know, F1 and rally racing just dominate, don't they? They sure do. Um, and it, it, it's kind of interesting over there because they don't have baseball necessarily. They don't have American football. It's pretty much soccer and soccer. Yep. And uh, nothing else to cloud in between. Mm-hmm. And so the people that are sports fans are racing fans and soccer fans. And, man, at the tracks when I do the European Rallycross Championship, there'll be 80-year-old women that'll come up to me and tell me I'm losing two-tenths of a second in the first corner. And they're absolutely right. They are so on top of it, and they're such fans of the sport and of the driving that um, it really is rewarding and fun. And it's a lot of pressure to race over there because of that, but it's a ton of fun to race in Europe. As a child, when you were growing up or in your teens, when you start to really get into cars, who was like, besides Pinello Jones, who was real inspirational to you? And let's just say in Europe because of the rally driving. Well, Colin McRae is the guy that I saw uh, rally racing early on uh, when he was driving Subarus. And um, he, he was somebody that just seemed uh, to sort of transcend the sport a little bit. He, he just had, uh, when he wanted to win, he could win. You know, not, or when he, I guess really when he didn't crash, he won. But it was, um, it was amazing to watch because when I watched racing, it wasn't necessarily a fan of the sport, I'll, to be honest. It was because I wanted to see if I could do their job. And, and you... You look at a lot of the racing, and you can't exactly tell what the driver is doing. But when you watch rally racing, you see the front tires moving around and twitching all over. You see exactly what the driver is doing and what they're going through and what they're doing um, with the handbrake and the steering wheel to get the car to do what you see. And that's what got me addicted to rally racing is being able to sort of live what the drivers were going through by watching it. I um, have Vic Ilford is coming on our show here, and uh, I think oh, next cool. month. And Vic started out road rallying 
rally racing. And what's interesting about him, and you have a, there's a lot of similarities. Not only did he do the rallying, but then he jumped into formula cars. Well, he didn't do those very often, but basically GT cars. So, and he said that his, and in a short interview, which we'll, we'll get to that, but he said basically his rallying experience really gave, put him over the top when it came to his GT racing. Would you concur with that? Oh, for sure. For sure. Just the willingness to throw it in. And, you know, rallying is all about weight transfer, especially um, back in the day. Now there's a lot of aerodynamic and electronic differentials, you know, some, some things that, are, that take away from that, although they're trying to dumb the cars down a bit more again. But back in the day, rallying was all sideways sliding and, and all about weight transfer and car control. And when you get into those high-horsepower GT cars, you remember you'd see Oldsmobiles out there sliding sideways through these corners and Nissan. And, uh, yeah, there's an enormous amount of car control needed. Plus, I think back, back then they were running bias-ply tires. Yeah. And so bias-ply tires are, I mean, you talk about that progressivity gray area. Those things, you're, you feel like you're drifting when you're, and you're still in the sweet spot. So you have to have an enormous amount of comfort with drift angle and with uh, car control um, and weight transfer in order to, I think, really make those things work. So it's probably was was part of it. But, man, the racing sure looked like fun then, didn't it? It did, it did, it did. Well, let me ask you this now. As far as rallying, did you ever get to dra- do any rally driving on, like, snow and ice or anything like that besides dirt and asphalt? Yeah, that was one of my first main jobs. Um, when I, after about three years of doing those spec forwards, I moved to Steamboat. And there's a winter driving school in Steamboat. They've got, uh, at the time, it was a one-mile, ten-turn road course made out of ice. You're talking about Steamboat Springs, and, Colorado? Yes. Great yeah. ski area. And they used to have a, a vintage race there years ago, but that's not there anymore. But go ahead. I'm sorry. They used to. That's right, in August. But now, um, so now they, have a, they have three miles of ice track up there. And so for eight years, I was an instructor up there, and I, and I got to go out every morning at 8 o'clock. I built a, a bit of an ice car on, you know, remember, the Mitsubishi Eclipse GSX? Uh-huh. Yeah, and built, uh, souped it up a bit, and, and made it specific for ice um, with studless tires, and uh, spent a huge amount of time sideways in the winter. I mean, I was out there every morning at eight o'clock trying to make weather over steamboat by just kicking up so much snow. Uh, it was uh, that was a great time, and that was an incredibly valuable time for you know getting into drifting, getting into rally racing, doing all of these other things where the skills that you learn on ice uh, sideways really really paid off. Well, that was my question now. Driving on ice, okay, and snow versus, let's say, like, let's say dirt, gravel, okay, kind of like, you know, asphalt's a different issue, but let's just say the dirt and the gravel as opposed to the ice and the snow. Is there a big difference there? Is, uh, I mean, you, you you set up differently, mindset as well? For sure. I think the gravel is the easiest. Is it? Ice, yeah, ice and pavement are the most similar. And, oh, okay. And the reason for that is, is that, um, when you have gravel or some sort of thick snow, you know, there's some sort of thick material. And when the tire slides, it actually uses the sidewall of the tire as a rudder. Okay. All right. And just... rudders through it instead of just using the contact patch like ice or asphalt would be forced to do. Okay. And so weight transfer is really critical when you have just the contact patch to use. And you have to be very, very disciplined. Um, where on gravel or thick snow, you can just huck the car in and even get really good braking by being sideways just because the sidewalls of those tires, you know, pack up the gravel. Um, and then, for example, if you crank the, the front tires and you had understeer and you're pushing the front tires through the corner, on gravel, that would actually work. Where uh, ice and 
tasement, that doesn't work at all, as, as, you, as you know. Right. Interesting. Pikes Peak. Tell us about your experiences on Pikes Peak. Uh, Pikes Peak was one of the, was really the first uh, money races that I ever did. I, by money races, I mean I went out and I raised money and I rented a car. And um, that was a that was a race. You know, we were thinking, well, it's a, you know, it's a big race. You can drive it a ridiculously fast car. A friend of mine, Paul Gerard, and I went out there. Um, they're like, well, what are the coolest cars? They had these alcohol burning open wheel cars that made 800 horsepower and they weighed 1600 pounds. And we figured, why not? So, uh, put together some sponsorship and, uh, went, and that was, the, that was the first year and that was scary and dangerous. <laughs> it's probably a really bad idea. Um, but those cars were absolutely amazing. That's when the road was all gravel. Um, but I was addicted, you know, in that first race, I really learned that it's, it's the drivers against the mountain, uh, when you're first doing the race, it's just about surviving the mountain, getting to the top. Um, but then we did, uh, there was a rally car class that, uh, would go there every year. And it was part of our rally racing series with rally America. Uh, and so I did it subsequent years in a much slower car with a co-driver who, by the way, you, would you sit in the passenger seat of a car going up Pike speed? I'm not sure. I've been on a number of racetracks, and as a driver, when you're a passenger, you don't feel the same. You you think like a driver when you're a passenger, but you don't feel the same. I can tell you that from experience. And I'm not sure. And I and when you're especially when you're coming next to a wall at 170, 180 miles an hour, Pikes Peak, where it's what 10,000 feet drop off. I'm not sure I would do that one. <laughs> I don't think you can pay me enough. Some of those drops are just. And honestly, it doesn't matter if it's 70 feet or 700. It's going to be bad. But, uh, yeah, that's so pretty, did, I, pretty did you go up as a co-drivers get in there. Did you go up as a passenger? No, hell no. Oh, okay. No <laughs> well, now, let me ask you this. Now, I can't remember now because I've had a number of people talk about the, that have raced that have been on the show, obviously, Parnella Jones. How wide is the actual road that you're actually racing on? It varies at its widest. It's uh, 60 feet. It gets that way. Uh, well, at the gravel, it was 60 feet. I'm sure they didn't pave all 60 feet wide. And that's um, an area called Rookie's Corner. And the reason why it's called Rookie's is you go through a little uh, left-right sequence that's 60 feet wide, and then you come up to an identical sequence that's 60 feet, but the exit is 30 feet. And the rookies uh, usually go off into the trees at that point. So it, it's as wide as 60 and as narrow as 30. But the, the pavement, I'm sure, has changed. And I haven't raced it since it's been fully paved. And I'm sure it's really narrowed the truck up quite a bit. And you see the cars that are going up there now. They're, they're like Indy cars. And then they're, so they're sports cars and, and road race cars that use full aero. I can't imagine going up there with an aerodynamic car where the faster you go, the faster you can go. It would be nuts. Well, all right. From your experience, how fast, what kind of speeds did you attain while you were driving up there? Sure. We probably hit 100, and I think my top speed at Picnic Ground, which is one of the straightaways, was about 118. And now with the, the amount of grip that the cars have coming through the last corner, the momentum they can carry, they're hitting more like 138. How long is that straightaway? Oh, I, I, I don't know. Just a little bit too short. Just a little too <laughs> for a short. Of, for, a, for a lot of people, yeah. Okay. It's a really hairy corner right off the end of that. Well, I'll t- I, uh, Tanner, i got to tell you, I'm really impressed, and I really, I'm glad you came on the show, and I'm really glad that you – because you're really getting technical, so this is cool, and I, I can kind of relate to it, and it's good because some of my listeners are drivers, uh, enthusiasts, so it's kind of cool. Tell us about Top Gear. How did Top Gear – 
come about. I know. I appreciate having me on the show. Been oh. great. Thank you very much. Well, you're not done yet. Tell us a little bit about uh, about Top Gear, how the TV show came about. Oh, Top Gear. So Top Gear I heard about for the first time back when NBC was shooting a pilot for it. And that was uh, that was a few years ago now. It was like four years ago. And uh, we shot the pilot, and then History Channel picked it up. And it was such a good home for it. A history, history Channel, you know, it's a, it's, it really was the right kind of outlet, I think. Um, because we can be a little bit more crazy on uh, cable. We can be a little bit more politically incorrect yeah. on cable. And, um, and then I met Adam and Rutledge for the first time in the casting for that show. And uh, we've become great friends and uh, drive each other absolutely nuts. You know, it, it's funny that the meetings that we have about coming up with concepts for the show, it literally is just try to remember when you were 11 years old what you wanted to do with a car. And uh, whatever you can come up with, we put it on the show. Okay, so you guys do have a lot of input as to basically what the format or what the storyline is going to be then, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, there, there are some concepts that just worked on the U.K. show, you know, could be as many as seven years ago, eight years ago, and that we will... Uh, tap into the same concept, obviously doing it differently, but um, most of the stuff just comes up from sitting around and talking. The show in England, so with Jeremy and, and, and the other guys that are on that show, do you guys ever kind of interact? Do you communicate? Um, or is that show different because it's over there in Europe and then you're different because you're over here in the United States? It's very much separate. And I, when I, I was the only one out of the three of us that had uh, uh, was involved in that first pilot. And in that one, they were pretty involved. Jeremy came over, and um, we've met all the guys at various stages and locations, or whether we're in Europe or, or they are shooting in the U.S. But um, the U.S. show has certainly taken on its own direction. You know, we, you notice we don't use the studio anymore. The, the format is very, very different um, to adapt to the American audience. And, and frankly, uh, there's a super, uh, surprising to me, there's a very small percentage of our audience that has ever heard of the UK show uh, because History Channel just sort of reaches a demographic that doesn't, um, you know, isn't out there searching the web to, to find the UK show. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of people know about the uh, European show and a lot of us have watched it over the years. And your show is kind of, more, in my opinion, a little bit more comical. I mean, I kind of enjoy it. And you've got a, you know, you got a different group of people there. You know, I mean, Rutledge has got his little personality, you know, he's a typical Georgia guy. And of course, Adam, you know, he's New Yorker. You know, he puts his little spin on. You always seem to get picked on, which is kind of comical. And you're pretty good at taking it. So, but I, I like your show. I really do. I, 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 and I enjoy watching it. Yeah, as a, growing up as the youngest brother, it's probably good therapy that I get picked on. When you film, how do you basically do like 13 episodes a season, correct? Is that how it works? Uh, yeah, it's been 16, but we usually break it up 10 and 6. Okay. And then how often do you film and what, what time? what's the time frame? Well, we'll go, um, there's pretty much kind of an off season, and then all of a sudden there'll be an order that needs to be delivered yesterday. And so then it'll be a mad rush and... And uh, all three of us kind of have vocations outside of the show. And so there'll be, it's a mad scheduling rush, really. And we will shoot pretty hardcore, you know, every, every gap in whatever other schedule you've got will be filled. And that will go for probably eight months. And, uh, and then the shows start coming out. And, and, you know, the last couple seasons have been on Tuesday nights. In fact, it was Monday, so we're we're probably about halfway through airing season three uh-huh. um, right now, and so those are all on Tuesday nights. And then we 
you know, if we get uh, season four, then the trigger just gets pulled, and all of a sudden it's just pure chaos. Okay. When, now, of, of the episodes that you've done, is there anyone in particular that you really like a concept or something that you, you know, that you want to share with us? Uh, you know, even if you talk about something that happened that didn't really get filmed or anything like that, anything kind of cool? Uh, let's see. There's, I mean, we've done so many weird things. It's, it's almost like a blur. I, I'm always, okay, just because I'm a simple creature, I'm, I'm always into driving the fast cars. Okay. Uh, the newer cars. A lot of our challenges involve older cars and, um, you know, doing ridiculous things in them, driving uh, the Mercure XR4 Ti that I had to drive, uh, which, because it was designed in Germany, I had to drive it around with three German shepherds with <laughs> sausages wrapped around my neck. Okay. And so there's that kind of thing, which is scarring and memorable in one way. But then there's, uh, you know, getting to drive the Bugatti out on a public road at 200 miles an hour or racing, uh, which was aired recently. I raced Carl Edwards. He was in his NASCAR uh, road race car, and I was in a McLaren. And that was awesome. That's just one of those things that uh, you just log that away and... You know, I would go do that every day of the week. Luckily, you know, there are people there filming it, but I'd do it without the TV show. It was just the greatest afternoon ever. And, um, you know, luckily, store it on, on camera, and I get to go relive it every once in a while. But uh, that uh, those kinds of challenges, when I get to go against racers and when I get to, uh, to drive the latest and greatest that uh, these companies are putting out, cars that I will not be able to afford, I mean, a half-million-dollar car or the Bugatti was two-and-a-half million dollars, uh, but still get to experience what they're all about. It's just that, that's what's awesome for me. That's cool. That's really neat. Well, let me ask you this. Um, stunt driving, that was something we didn't get to cover, um, and we got a few minutes yet, but uh, sure. tell us a little bit about uh, how that, because uh, you've, you've done a couple of movies. You were in Iron Man 2 and I think uh, Born Legacy. Which which scenes did you do? Um, well, I, I've done a couple of the Born movies, uh, just Born Ultimatum and uh, Born Legacy, which was the uh, last one, mm-hmm. and th- those movies are, you know, they're, they're not necessarily about the driving of the car, so the stunts that I've done in those are... You know, I was in the Philippines for Born Legacy and for Born Ultimatum. I was one of the agents driving through New York when uh, when Matt Damon's character is uh, shredding through uh, Manhattan in a NYPD car. Mm-hmm. But there, but some movies that I've gotten to do are really like driving movies, like Dukes of Hazard or you know, Fast, the Tokyo Drift, Fast and the Furious. Although maybe it didn't make the most money, it was. I think the most fun driving. Oh, you you actually <laughs> did Tokyo Drift? Yeah, I was uh, DK. Um, oh, and, uh, you know, really muscle-bound Asian guy. I, I fit right into that. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, yeah, but it was, uh, I, that was so much fun. We were just drifting everywhere, and, you know, we're on the back of these dams drifting, and all these, through downtown L.A., we'd have it closed off every night for, like, two weeks, just sliding through the, the city blocks. Oh, my gosh, that was so much fun. Sounds like, yeah. so what's in the future for Tanner Faust? Um, there's, uh, there is a movie going on now, uh, involved in Need for Speed. Okay. Um, but, uh, that's, you know, it's based on a video game, so that's very, very driving, uh, centric, which I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but, uh, the next race for me is in England. Oh, yeah? Uh, next, next week, yeah. So, we head over, it's the first race of the European Rallycross Championship. In this type of sport, because it's kind of like it's a mix between action sports and motorsports, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we have to 
have a very big online presence, and, and so we go and we do an official launch of the, the car livery, and we always have a party around that, and it, it, it makes it all really fun. So we'll do that in London uh, right before the race, and, and then uh, then Brazil X Games, and then it just, it just starts going crazy after that. It's just racing, racing, racing. Tanner, if somebody wants to follow you, do you have like a website or a Facebook or what? Yep, there's all of the above. Um, almost all of them are just Tanner Faust. And uh, TannerFaust.com or Facebook is Tanner Fausto's Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, yeah, I, I keep up with, with most of them. Actually, Instagram is something that I try to post at least every day. But, um, yeah, so if you want to follow along, that's the place to go. Okay, super. All right, I want to thank my special guest this evening, Tanner Faust, the co-host of TV's Top Gear USA, for taking a few minutes to share with us his great stories about his racing career and his TV show. But at any rate, everybody else, stay safe, drive carefully, love your family. Be sure and check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, and tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars every week, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Our pleasures here, dug our treasures there. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen.